Uh, this morning we have uh, Dr. Rock LaJoy with us from uh, Grace College. And uh, would you guys give him a warm a welcome as he comes forward to teach us from God's Word. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Well, good morning. It's a delight to be here. And I want you to turn, if, you're, uh, if you've closed your Bibles, open them again, please, to uh, James chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at the verses that uh, Stephen just read. So, uh, James chapter 1. Uh, before we begin, though, let's speak to the author of this uh, incredible section of Scripture. And then uh, we'll worship the Lord with our minds, with our wills, with our hearts. Shall we pray together? Lord God, we thank you for this portion of Scripture, and as we approach now the Advent season, as we focus on the Lord Jesus coming to this earth and experiencing um, many of the things we experience, minus the sin nature, we're grateful, Lord Jesus, that you love us that much, that you want to be involved in our lives and active in our midst. And yet, Lord, uh, these are tough days. There are testings from without, temptations from within, and yet our desire is to have a pure heart during this season and beyond. Our desire is to demonstrate Christ-like maturity. We need your help for that, Lord. We need your Spirit's enablement. We need your grace. We need your empowerment. And so we pray that during this time, this time of worship in your Word, that you would speak clearly to us and that you would grant us great humility and a teachable spirit and that much fruit would be born in our lives and would benefit others as well. We want to be a blessing in this needy world. So we need your help. Lord, assist us now as we attempt to worship you. We pray it in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Praise the Lord. James chapter 1. How many here, it's probably going to be a handful, but how many here actually have a pet parakeet? Anybody? Or a pet bird of any kind. Are there any in the house? All right, we have a few. How many of you would be open to purchasing one sometime or, or receiving one if it's given as a gift? Not that I have one to give to you. Just asking. All right, so this may come in handy. If it applies right now, use it. And uh, in the future, if it applies, file this away for that time, and it may come in handy. I'm going to give you a lesson on how not to clean a birdcage. Max Lucado writes as follows, Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang and she turned to pick it up. Now here's challenge number one. She barely said hello when Chippy got sucked right into that vacuum cleaner. The bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, and opened the bag, and there was Chippy, still alive, but stunned. <laughs> Challenge number two. She barely said, hello. All right, now listen carefully to this part. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom, turned on the faucet, held Chippy under running water to wash this poor bird off, right? Now here's the third challenge. Then, realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. Well, he did survive all this, but a few days after the trauma, the reporter who had initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how this poor bird was faring. So, 
And here's what she said. Well, uh, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. You see, that series of challenges stole Chippy's song. Brothers and sisters, what about you? Has a series of challenges stolen your song? Does the joy of the Lord seem to be today a distant stranger? Are you overwhelmed? Are you feeling defeated by your circumstances? If so, God's Word has some incredibly good news just for you. And we're going to see it in this text. It's really awesome news. And it's this. Through faith in Christ, we can experience victory. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we can experience victory. Now, what do I mean by that word victory? Does that mean things are going to roll your way all the time and you're going to get everything you want? That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. When I use the word victory, what I mean by that is further development in Christ-like character. Because if you are growing and becoming more like Christ day by day, that tells me you're getting victory over temptation, testing, and all the things that come our way. And so through faith in Christ, we can experience victory, which means growth in Christ's likeness. Well, if that's true, then the question must be asked, victory over what? It's a great question, and I'm glad you asked it. Otherwise, I can't proceed. There's nothing else to say. But since you asked that question, I'm going to try to answer it. Victory over what? Well, victory over at least two challenges. We're going to see in this text. There are more, but in this text, two challenges in particular. Victory over what? Well, here's the first challenge. You'll see it right in the text there. We can experience victory over external trials. We can experience victory over external trials, the things that come our way from without. Notice carefully, if you look at James chapter 1, the very first verse there, It says, James, or in the Hebrew, Jacob, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Now, this is James. He's the half-brother of Jesus, the one whom we're celebrating during the Advent season. This is his half-brother. And this is the epistle of James, which was written in 46 AD. So, therefore, this letter is the earliest New Testament book that we have. And it has a strong Jewish flavor to it. As you know, the early church was primarily Jewish until they spread out and evangelized. Now, two years after writing this book, James led the Jerusalem Council, a big gathering of the the then uh, nascent church. The church was beginning to grow. So he was the major leader in the Jerusalem church. And even the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1.19, he describes James as an apostle, capital A, My point is, James was a prominent figure in the early church. So how does this prominent figure refer to himself? Well, notice carefully, James, a bondservant, a slave, you might say, of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So instead of referring to himself as the half-brother of Jesus, the leader of the Jerusalem Council, or as an apostle, capital A, James instead refers to himself as a willing Slave, And he presents himself as a spiritual brother to the letter's recipients. So he's on the same level as everybody else. This is not some big shot, you know, talking down to people, but rather he's right there alongside his sisters and his brothers. So we see great humility in this man. And so who's it written to? It says, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. He wrote to Jewish Christians living outside of Palestine, perhaps in the regions we would call today uh, Syria, in that region. And then notice what he says, verse 2. 
Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Really? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Don't miss the word. It's so easy to go right over it. Look at that word. In my translation, the word there is when. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. It doesn't say if. Trials are a given. Christian or not, if you're breathing, trials are going to find you. They have your snail mail address, your email address, any contact information. They will find you. Don't go looking for trouble. It knows where you live. It'll find you. Believer or not, doesn't matter. This is a fallen world, and we all face trials of all sorts, and many are unsolicited. They just come our way. This is a broken world. And so he says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. The word trials means a testing designed to determine the nature or the quality of something. In this case, our faith. These trials are designed to test the quality of our faith. Why? Doesn't God know the quality of my faith today? Sure he does. But I need to know how I'm doing. You need to know how you're doing. And we need a self-diagnostic. And we're not too good at identifying where we need to grow. We tend to keep that at a distance. Self-diagnosis is not an easy thing. And so the Lord sends these things in our life, these trials as we're calling them, to help us to determine how we're doing spiritually. And he's referring here to trials common to all people and also trials unique to believers such as us. If you're a believer in Jesus, there are some things you'll face that are by virtue of the fact that you're living for him. And when you live for Jesus in a hostile world, sparks begin to fly, right? And this is something an unbeliever won't experience Uh, They come by virtue of being a Christian. So he's saying here, whenever you encounter trials, and you will, rejoice in the opportunity they present. That seems counterintuitive. All right, James, I'm with you. I kind of get it. But why? Why should I rejoice? You're asking some good questions. You guys are doing great. You're firing on all four cylinders, or if you have an eight-cylinder, that too. Verse 3. Because you know, or your translation may say, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now that phrase, the testing of your faith, is really this letter's central theme. It runs throughout the entire letter. The testing of your faith. And he's going to keep talking about various tests that we face. All designed for our benefit, although they don't feel like it often, right? You see, these trials test the authenticity of our faith. They purify and they strengthen our faith if we respond in a proper way. And he says they produce endurance. You see it there? So whenever a trial comes your way, rejoice in the opportunity to develop this wonderful thing called, and many don't have it, by the way, it's called perseverance. That's a great character quality to have. Endurance literally means to stay under a heavy load. So what he's saying is trials help you to develop staying power, and we need that. It's amazing how people bail out just a day too soon. If they would have hung in there one more day, God had a lot of blessing to pour out, but they truncated the process and they missed out. It's a virtue to hang in there. There is light at the end of the tunnel. There really is. You check out your Bible, it's there. I need to file that away. When it gets really dark, sometimes I have to doubt my eyes and my ears and just trust what Jesus told me. It sounds like faith, doesn't it? That's what it's all about. That's the Christian life. And so he's saying, push through. And see what's going on. We can experience victory over external trials, and good things can result if we just persevere by faith and hang in there. So he tells us, notice, 
Verse 4. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Joyfully endure the entire testing period. Don't bail out too soon. Let the process have its full effect. Why, James? Here's why. That you may be perfect and complete. So endurance is not an end in itself, but a means to an end. What is the means to the end? Here it is. Perfect character. And if you have that, you've got victory. That's what victory looks like. The more Christ-likeness I see in your life and you see in my life, that means we're getting victory. And it's usually a process. We can't arrive and say, I'm done. I can sit back and just coast now. No, no. There's always another temptation, another trial. But it's always onward and upward. Let's live and aspire toward Christ-likeness. That's the goal. And this is what he's saying is very possible. Notice you're not going to hear me say it's easy. That word's not going to come out of my mouth. That's the last time you're going to hear that word. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there is a way in the face of the things that will inevitably come our way, there is a way to get victory and develop mature character. That's the idea. So he says, that you may be perfect and complete. Perfect means mature. Complete means possessing all the virtues that belong to a mature Christian. So the result is further development in Christ-like character, and that's how I'm defining the word victory. Through faith in Christ, we can develop Christ-like Character. Does that make sense? So notice what happens then in verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, in contrast to verse 4, where he says, lacking in nothing, he says here, but if you lack this one thing, wisdom, he's saying, if you want to consider your trials all joy, you're going to need something, because it's counterintuitive. Well, what am I going to need, James? Well, you're going to need divine wisdom. Well, where do you get that? Do you buy it from the wisdom store? I don't think they have it there. We get that from the Lord. If you want to consider your trials all joy, you're going to have to have insight, which is part of divine wisdom. And you get that expressly from the Lord. You can't buy it or attain it any other way. That's his point. That's why he's bringing up this concept of wisdom. He says, Let him ask of God who gives to all men generously... He wants us to have moral discernment to see the purpose he is accomplishing to the test we are facing. This means that we're facing the trials that come our way in a very intelligent way. See, the default fleshly mode is here comes this hard circumstance of some sort, and we just get angry and we buck up and we get mad at God, or we don't say it out loud, but we're wondering, why is God letting me go through this thing here? Instead of stepping back and saying, wait a minute, Lord, I, I don't get it. It looks like a mess. But what are you trying to show me here? Help me to see through. Give me that x-ray vision that Superman has and help me to see beyond the immediate ostensible circumstances and see what you're really up to. What are you intending to accomplish in my life? I want to know, Lord, because I want to be more like your son Jesus because I love him so much. And although this hurts, if I was a rank pagan or an atheist, I still would be facing some pain and some testing and some trial. So since both the atheist and the Christian experience trials, Lord, I want to get something out of this. I'm not asking to get off the hook, because I know I can't. Trials are endemic to any human being. Since we're all going to face some kind of suffering, Lord, what can I get out of this? Would you show me? Give me insight. This is what he's saying here. If you want wisdom, ask God. He will lavish it. He will splash it on you. He says, notice, and it will be given to him. My friends, God's promise to give you moral discernment is on record. The ink is dry. 
You can take him at his word. Let me challenge you. Take him at his word. Lord, you said you'd give me wisdom. I'm in a mess here. Please give me wisdom in the midst of this trial. What's he going to say? Nothing to do, and I don't do that. No, he already promised he would do that. James is later going to say, you have not. Why? Because you ask not. Our problem is we don't ask. Why don't we ask? Because we don't believe. Do you really believe that God's going to lavish wisdom on you so that you can see through your circumstances and see what's really going on so that you not only can cope through the circumstance, but even thrive through it and grow through it and become more like Jesus? That's why they're there. To knock us off dead center because it's too easy to stand on our own two feet and get comfortable in and of our own strength and our own wisdom that we think we have. And we don't need him because we can navigate and negotiate our circumstances. Wait a minute. We need him every hour, every minute, every second, right? And trials help us to remember that reality. So that's what's going on here. We can experience victory over external trials. Now look at verse 6. But here's how we're going to ask now. Let him ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Wow. Notice that answers to prayer are not automatic. God places certain demands on the supplicant. So if you're going to ask for this particular thing, a wisdom, stated positively, you're going to have to have this thing called faith. This prayer must be offered in faith. See the word there? And so when we pray, do we commit our petitions to God in total dependence? Do we actually trust him? And I'll go a step further and say, do we actually expect him to answer? This is where the problem may lie. Because he is on record. He promised to give. So why is he not giving? Could be because I'm not asking, or I'm asking, but I don't believe really. Could be one of the two. So James tells us, look at verse 7. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That word there literally means double-souled. The double-souled man is inconsistent in his allegiance to God. Further, he calls him, notice the word, unstable. So the double-souled man is wobbly and unreliable in his daily life. I like how one scholar puts it. I think he's right on. He says, the man who does not trust God cannot be trusted by men. Because this man is a law unto himself, right? His character is lacking. In fact, I'll go so far to say that a lack of faith is actually a character defect. If you look at what's going on here, it means that there's something lacking in the person. So he says in verse 9, But let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high Position. So in spite of his poverty and perhaps being seen as a nobody, the brother should glory loudly in his high position. See, God sees things different than we do. In fact, if you turn, keep your place, but turn to chapter 2. Look at verse 5 there. He's speaking of those who do not have this world's goods or this world's status. 2.5. Listen, my beloved brethren. James is one of us, right? Did not God choose the poor of this world? To be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him. In other words, he wants the poor person to reassess their true position. And notice what he says. He adds further, verse 10. And let the rich man glory in his humiliation. 
Because like flowering grass, he will, count on it, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. You see, great wealth can cause one to acquire a false sense of security. But the reality is just like a flower, it blooms one day and then the sun comes out and it withers and it is gone the next day on the way out. And so, he's trying to correct how we see things here. Both the rich and poor need to ask God for wisdom. Why? So that they can evaluate their circumstances. Notice from his perspective. And that's what it's all about. I can see things horizontally my way, but my vision is so limited, I can't even see behind me. And God has the bird's eye view. He sees every possible angle. He knows every contingency. Seems to me I need to take my cues from him. Understatement of the year, he knows a little bit more than I do. So I need to check in with him, right? One scholar puts it like this. He says, the poor need wisdom in order to evaluate their true riches. And the rich need wisdom to prevent them from attaching too much importance to the fleeting treasures of this earth. And so James pronounces a beatitude, a blessing. Blessed or happy, he says. Look at verse 12. Blessed, happy, is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So James teaches that it is possible for a believer to be happy or blessed while still under trial. Have you ever seen somebody who is really going through it? You know the circumstances are tough, and yet they still have some composure, and they're maybe even smiling. The world's wondering, is this guy on drugs? How come he's so happy? He should be miserable. Look at his If I was in a circumstance, I would be miserable. But maybe this person has some imperceptible resources. More to the point, he has a person living in him, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who he received by faith, who is now empowering him to rise above his circumstances and actually, miracle of miracles, experience the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, a whole bunch of other things, including self-control. Sounds like a miracle, doesn't it? Well, the Holy Spirit is God. He's a supernatural being, and supernatural beings are in the habit of doing supernatural things. So if the Holy Spirit's living in you, guess what? Some supernatural things can occur, such as his fruit can be manifested in your life. You can actually have joy in the midst of a trial. Isn't that amazing? It's true. I hope you believe it. It's in the Word of God. You can actually have joy. doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. doesn't mean the circumstance is tough. We're not, we don't want to you know, minimize reality. But there's another reality we need to factor into this situation here, and that is the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer. And he gives the fruit of the Spirit. So he says, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. Once he has been approved, he will receive what? The crown of life. Christ-like character is cultivated by persevering out of love for him. You know, all of us, brother, sister, are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's coming. We're going to lock eyes with Jesus at some point. And our character will be demonstrated to be genuine and steadfast because of what we're talking about right here. Those who persevere will enjoy God's presence for all eternity. That reality 
should motivate us to persevere. In other words, whatever you're facing now, believe it or not, doesn't feel that way, but this too shall pass. And the end of the story is the best part because ultimately you will be in the presence of Jesus Christ where there's total bliss for all eternity, irrevocable. And so here and now, while we're on earth, we can experience victory over trials by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's teaching us here. We can experience victory over external trials. And so, dear friend, what trials are you exposed to today? What trials are, or trial are you facing? Maybe your trust has been violated by a close friend. Uh, maybe you have a, a family member who is struggling with uh, a major illness. Uh, maybe you've been a victim of slander. Perhaps you're burdened by financial hardship. These are tough times. The economy's not doing well. By faith, are you asking God for wisdom on how to assess and also respond to the trial you are presently in? By the way, there'll be other trials down the road. Even after this one lifts, there'll be another one. So what we're looking at here is developing Christ-like habits and attitudes so when these trials come, and they will while we're breathing... We respond to them in a Christ-like way. By faith, are you choosing to focus upon Christ-like maturity that will result from persevering? This is a matter of focus. Should I just focus on the circumstances and become defeated and bitter? Or should I shift my focus to Christ and what he's trying to teach me in the midst of this otherwise messy situation? By faith, are you cultivating a joyful attitude? Through the Spirit, again, is, among other things, joy, right? Are you trusting Christ to carry you through life's trials and then ultimately, because it's coming, give you the crown of life when he returns for his bride? Are you starting to see that through faith in Christ we can experience victory and become more like him? And often he uses these trials to facilitate that process? And so, again, I'll ask the question, victory over what? Well, victory over two challenges from this text. The first one is we can experience victory over external trials. Here's the second challenge. We can experience victory over internal temptations. We can experience victory over internal temptations. Those are just as real as the external trials. Notice verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. Now James shifts the focus here from external trials to internal temptations. And the excuse is advanced like this. You know, God's in charge of everything. He's the sovereign one. And it's the sovereign God who brought about the situation that produced the temptation. And so therefore, God's really at fault because he put me in this mess. And so when I sin, he gets the blame because he set this whole thing up. Now, my friends, when God tests us, it's not with evil intent. In fact, quite the contrary. When he sends these things our way, he's trying to strengthen us, and he's trying to promote spiritual maturity. God is in the business of testing our faith, but he does not tempt us to sin. If he did, then he would be guilty of sin, and he would cease to be God, because God, by definition, is a perfect being. If he sins, he's no longer God. But we know that God is holy, 
And God abhors sin, right? He, he's totally against it. So that can't be what's going on here. And so, here's the real issue. Look at verse 14. Here's what's really going on. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And so the true source of man's temptation is internal, not external. One scholar puts it well. He says, the trouble lies in the combustible material that each man carries within himself. So we've got this, uh, we'll call it flammable liquid in us. And Satan lights a match and throws it our way and it ignites. It ignites from within because we still have a sin nature, right? And so he's pointing out where the trouble, the true source of the trouble lies. God is not to blame for our evil cravings. Each one of us is personally responsible when we allow ourselves to be lured in and enticed. That's the real picture. But here's the good news. We can experience victory over internal temptations. That's his point. So notice what he says, verse 15. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Again, he's one of us. So when lust is yielded to, it becomes sin's mother. When sin develops into a fixed habit, and when it impacts the sinner's character, it brings forth spiritual death. So James tells us, verse 17, Every good thing, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And so rather than tempting us to sin, God constantly showers us constantly with every useful and beneficial thing. If you have anything good that you can point to, give him thanks. Don't let Thanksgiving fizzle out. The turkey was great. It was nice to be with family. But that should be going on 365, right? We should be giving them thanks all the time. There's always something to give him thanks for. Somebody just told me this morning, at least give him thanks that you're not the turkey. Were you the one that told me that? Somebody told me that. I thought that was great. The poor turkey, he's done in, right? So there's something to be thankful for, plus. And so this includes the resources to experience victory over internal temptation. God gives us the equipment to actually rise above the temptation. Raise your hand if you ever had victory over temptation. Anybody? We're not boasting. We're giving God the glory here, right? We want more of it in our lives. But if that has happened, that was the Lord getting a spiritual breakthrough in our lives and giving us victory over that temptation. So he should be thanked and praised for it. Verse 18. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. Remember verse 15, sin brings forth death. Now here, verse 18, he brought us forth. Instead of death, God brings forth spiritual life in Christ through what? Through the gospel message. So this tells me then that God is not the author of lust, of sin, of death. He is the holy, spotless, immaculate author of salvation and spiritual life, which leads to Christ-like maturity. And so when we put our faith in Christ, brothers and sisters, we can experience victory over internal temptations. How many of you here have grown up with the books or at least read them to your kids? Uh, there's a whole series of books called Frog and Toad. Anybody? Anybody in the house? One of us? Two of us? There's a few of us here. All right. Frog and Toad, they're classics. We used to read them to our boys when they were small. Uh, here's one of them. It goes like this. 
Toad baked some cookies. These cookies smell very good, said Toad. He ate one. And they taste even better, he said. Of course, he's flattering himself as a cook, but apparently they were good. Toad ran to Frog's house. Frog, frog, cried Toad. Taste these cookies that I have made. Frog ate one of the cookies. These are the best cookies I have ever eaten, said Frog. Frog and Toad ate many cookies, one after another. You know, Toad, said Frog, with his mouth full, I think we should stop eating. We will soon be sick. You're right, said Toad. Let us eat one last cookie, and then we will stop. Frog and Toad ate one last cookie. There were many cookies left in the bowl. Frog, said Toad, let us eat one very last cookie, and then we will stop. Frog and Toad ate one very last cookie. We must stop eating, cried Toad as he ate another. Yes, said Frog, reaching for a cookie. We need willpower. What is willpower, asked Toad. Willpower is trying hard not to do something you really want to do, said Frog. You mean like trying hard not to eat all of these cookies, asked Toad? Right, said Frog. And so Frog put the cookies in a box. There, he said, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can open the box, said Toad. Hmm, that's true, said Frog. So Frog tied some string around the box. There, he said, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can cut the string and open the box, said Toad. Yeah, that's true, said Frog. So Frog got a ladder. He put the box up, way up on a high shelf. There, said Frog, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can climb the ladder and take the box down from the shelf and cut the string and open the box, said Toad. Hmm, that's true, said Frog. So Frog climbed the ladder and took the box down from the shelf. He cut the string and he opened the box. And then Frog took the box outside. He shouted in a loud voice, Hey, birds! Here are cookies! And the birds flocked from every which way. They came and they took all those cookies in their beaks and they flew away. <laughs> now we have no more cookies to eat, said Toad sadly. Not even one. Yes, said Frog, but we have lots and lots of willpower. <laughs> you may keep it all, Frog, said Toad. I'm going home now to bake a cake. <laughs> you see, Toad settled for defeat. But believers do not have to settle for defeat. This is James' point. Believers can experience victory over internal temptations. And so, dear brother, dear sister... How are you handling those temptations? Are you getting victory? Are you yielding to them? Are you surrendering? Are you trying to use willpower? You know, we got New Year's coming up soon. The resolutions are good till February, typically, sometimes March, depending on your willpower. But it's unnecessary because we have a greater power. How much power does the Holy Spirit who lives in you have? It's limitless. We have resources we're not using. And he wants to empower us. And so, brother, sister, through faith in Christ, we can experience victory. Victory over what? Well, at least two challenges. One is we can experience victory over external trials. Secondly, we can experience victory over internal temptations. All right, here's your action point, homework assignment from the prof. I will not grade you. 
There was a survey done, Discipleship Journal. Uh, They asked the readers to rank the areas of greatest spiritual challenge, and they got all these results back from the readership. And here's how they are in order in terms of the most common challenge. Number one, materialism. Number two, pride. And we're all going to find ourselves somewhere on this list. These are endemic to human beings. Number three, self-centeredness. Number four, laziness. Number five was actually a tie, anger and sexual lust. And then number six, envy. And then the survey respondents uh, noted uh, what they did to acquire victory over temptation. They were asked, well, how do you accomplish victory over temptation? What works for you? And so uh, here's number one, 84%. And these are really uh, faith-building exercises. Number one is prayer, 84% said prayer is the best thing that helps them overcome temptation. Number two, avoiding compromising situations. Uh, Think of Joseph fleeing the scene, right? Number three, Bible study. Yes, that doesn't go out of style. Still relevant. It's God's prescription. Number four, being accountable to someone. So again, prayer, avoiding compromising situations, Bible study, and being accountable to someone. And so this week, I'd like to challenge you to take some time to pray and then write out a specific plan. How should I improve, Lord, in one of these, or maybe more than one of these areas, but Lord, uh, maybe I should be working more in my prayer life, or maybe I need an accountability partner who will ask me the questions if I give them permission to speak into my life to help me stay on track. Whatever, Whatever it is that you need, Lean on God's grace. Don't do it in the flesh. Ask the Spirit of God to help you, but please implement that plan, and you'll be the better for it. You will begin to experience victory. Again, Christ-likeness. That's what victory is all about. So James's message for us this morning is this. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we can experience victory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the good news It's very easy to get bogged down and to put on our shoulders false guilt. Sometimes Satan whispers in our ears that we're not worth it or we can't cut it. And yet you're not asking us to cut it on our own. You are providing the resources, the enablement to do such. You're not so much impressed with ability as you are availability. And so, Lord, this morning we choose to make ourselves available to you to work in our lives however you will. As we pray about these growth areas... Show us where we need to improve and then help us to rely on you to help us to do such. Be glorified in the days ahead, especially during this Advent season. May our gift to you be more Christ-likeness in each of our lives. We pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. And Lord, all of your people said, Amen. Praise the Lord.